Hello and welcome to this episode of the Banking Bonus Time Podcast. My name is Eric Conley here at FinEd and we've got a great one for you today. We're going to need a bigger boat. A tidal wave of bankruptcies is coming your way with record unemployment, a fractured economy. It won't be long before stimulus money, modifications, forbearances, and other rescue options are exhausted. So today we have our Rachel Cartwright with bankruptcy expert David Reed for a conversation around his recent webinar on navigating the coming wave of bankruptcy. Uh, We had a really lively webinar and a really lively Q&A session. So this is one of those episodes of Asked and Answered, where we take some of the best questions from the live webinar and we bring them back to the presenter and go a little more in depth on those. So with that, we'll jump right into the podcast with Rachel and David. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Navigating the Coming Wave of Bankruptcy, Five Things You Need to Know Now with David Reed. Today, we're going to be going over some interesting questions brought up during our live webinar, Navigating the Coming Wave of Bankruptcy, Five Things You Need to Know Now. Our guest speaker today is David Reed. Attorney, author, consultant, and nationally recognized speaker, David Reed is a partner in the law firm of Reed & Jolly, PLLC. He provides guidance to financial institutions on establishment and revision of policies and procedures, organizational compliance, collections, security, contractual agreements, regulatory matters, and corporate governance. His engaging speaking style has made him a nationwide lecturer on regulatory compliance, consumer lending, bankruptcy, and collections. A former trial attorney and vice president and general counsel of a large regional financial institution, David is also a certified fraud examiner. He is particularly known as an expert in the areas of operations, bankruptcy, and collections. He has trained state and federal examination staff on numerous issues, including BSA, ID theft red flags, SAFE Act, third-party contract management, and bankruptcy. So, David, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're well. We're having some really chilly weather blowing over here in the Northwest. Are you keeping warm over where you're at? Uh, we are. We are. Thank you so much. It's, it's uh, my pleasure to be joining uh, you. I, I really, really love uh, the addition uh, to the podcast uh, or that the podcast have made um, to your offerings. I just think that this is a very nice format to highlight information. Absolutely. I I think I I have a lot of fun on these podcasts anyways. (laughs) Well, um, that's awesome. So let's jump right into some of these questions from your webinar. There's a few that kind of stuck out to me as really good topics of of conversation. One question that we got in was, um, when a debt is listed outside of the plan and the plan is confirmed, can we contact the debtor directly or should we contact them through an attorney? Okay, and uh, I love this question uh, on a on a multitude of fronts because it highlights um, both um, a few of the most common bankruptcy landmines, that is risky areas that are likely to get a financial institution into trouble, uh, as well as highlighting an interesting mechanical issue um, that... Um, you know, the understanding of which will help save time uh, for every institution that's out there. And so let, let's, let's draw a couple, of, uh, a couple of outlines here. The first one is we need to remember that bankruptcy is a debtor protection law. That is the vast majority, majority of it is designed uh, for the benefit of the debtor. It's designed 
uh, so that they have time to uh, restructure their finances, uh, that they are going to be free from creditor attacks, if you will, that is garnishments, repossessions, foreclosures, uh, levies, litigation, um, you know, even even um, modest attempts to collect that debt. And this protection begins immediately upon the filing, let me add electronic filing, of the bankruptcy with the bankruptcy court. And the, um, the fact that the institution may not know about the filing of the bankruptcy uh, doesn't matter. So this goes back to uh, another suggestion, which is to get an electronic notification system set up, right? The EBN system, electronic bankruptcy notification, doesn't cost anything. And the institution will get the notice uh, within a day as opposed to uh, within, you know, seven to 10 days that it kicks around, uh, you know, various offices and things like that. And, and time is wasted. Absolutely. Now, with regard to the Chapter 13 plan, the Chapter 13 plan controls everything within the Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Who gets paid what and when? This is why uh, being able to quickly review the plan uh, to see the major elements and how uh, your institution's uh, debts are being administered through the plan, very, very important to know. But this question basically says, all right, so uh, if we have a debt that's being paid outside of the plan, um, can we contact the person directly? So first, remember, that automatic stay in a Chapter 13 covers anybody who is on a loan with your institution, uh, whether they filed or not. So if, if I filed but my wife did not, we're both covered by the automatic stay. Now, second, um, every debt has to be included in the plan, right? Remember, one of the basic rules is uh, the debtor has to lift, list all of their debts and all of their assets. Now, how that debt is paid may vary a little bit. So first of all, if you have a debt that's not listed in the bankruptcy, you should contact your attorney, uh, your creditor's attorney and see uh, what you could do about that. You may It may be a very, very simple administrative action to have you added, or it may be something where your institution can actually uh, benefit a bit from the administrative oversight. But for the most part, every one of those debts is going to be uh, covered uh, by the plan. Now, the fact that you are not being paid in the plan really doesn't matter. Many secured debts, and that would be uh, more often than not a home, or an automobile, the debtor is going to elect, is going to elect to pay that debt directly to the creditor as opposed to pay it to the chapter 13 trustee, right? That one monthly check that they have to write. And then the trustee turns around and sends checks out to all the other, um, all the other people. And uh, just because you're being paid outside the plan, do not make the mistake of thinking that the bankruptcy does not apply to your institution or that debt. It does. So you have to be careful about contacting the debtor directly. 
So know what you're trying to do. Again, know that end game. Is this a, just a reminder? Or are you trying to assess their um, their intent? Meaning if they've stopped making payments to you, do you want to find out if they still want to keep the car? And if they don't want to keep the car, uh, then you, you may want to try to arrange a return of the collateral, or you may want to file a, a motion for relief of stay. Uh, but either one, you're going to do that um, through the mechanisms of the bankruptcy court. So uh, what I will tell you is that in most instances, uh, unless you've set this up in advance, you should probably go through the debtor's attorney. Now, remember, there is a difference on a secured loan about asking somebody uh, about their um, intent, right? Because you have a lien on this collateral and that's different than asking about the payment. Now, you may say to yourself, well, ultimately it goes to the same place. Well, yes, it does because they do have to pay us if they want to keep it because we're not in the free rental business. But just be careful as you make that contact. Uh, oftentimes, I would suggest that maybe it's done by an email with a copy of the email going uh, to the debtor's attorney uh, so that they understand exactly what it is we're trying to do, what it is we're trying to find out. But this is one of those areas that sometimes because the debtor continues to pay you correctly uh, or directly, or because uh, the debt may be up to date, uh, that is showing current on the system, we forget um, that that bankruptcy is out there and that there are certain things we have to do to ensure that we are not violating um, the automatic bankruptcy stay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, David. That was an excellent response. I really appreciate all the detail you went into with that. Um, so I guess my second question for you would be, can a creditor file a proof of claim online without using an attorney? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, so um, different uh, courts, remember we talked, so let, let's say Illinois, it's got three courts. It's got Northern District, Central District, Southern District. Um they may have slight variations in their online system, but all electronic um, systems um, you have to sign up for, that is to be able to file, uh, you know, the, the, I think it's called the CMF system. Um, and there is typically a, a small training program, like a 15 minute, a half an hour video that teaches you how to do it. You get all your online uh, login uh, credentials. Um, and, uh, then, um, you know, you can go ahead and file. Now, um, just because you have uh, the technical ability to do it, uh, it then leads to the second question. You will also need, um, you know, the practical ability to do it. And, and that is filing a proof of claim on an unsecured debt uh, or filing it, let's say, on an automobile. Um, those are relatively easy to do. Now, if it's a if it's a cross-collateralized loan, remember, we have that additional layer. You need to make sure that you show all the different loans that are secured by a particular piece of collateral. Right? Once you get the hang of it, it's not that hard to do. Now, the final piece of the puzzle is there have been changes with regard to the Chapter 13, uh, chapter 13 proof of claim for a real estate loan. And some um, you know institutions have, th have thought to themselves, "Wow, that's that's an awful lot of information. Uh, that's a lot of um, you know 
kind of cross-referencing different rules and regulations um, and different types of, uh, you know, different types of um, data from our um, internal systems. Now, sometimes a separate system, right? Sometimes the the uh, lending origination system or servicing system for real estate loans may be a little bit different. So, you know, you may need to look at the real estate loans a little bit different. You may need to have a little bit of additional guidance. Um, and I overlay all of this. Don't be afraid to contact your attorney and say, listen, I know you offer this attorney, you know, this service for, you know, 50 bucks a pop or hundred bucks a pop, but we want to be able to do this internally. So we'd like to select several different types of loans. And I might just suggest a uh, credit card loan, uh, a cross-collateralized automobile loan, and then a real estate loan. And then just ask the uh, attorney uh, if they are their paralegal would help walk you through. You know, you could do a Zoom meeting. I mean, you know, leverage all of this virtual, um, you know, power that we have right now and, um, you know, share the screen and have them walk you through how to do that. Um, I think that that would be a very good use of your time. Uh, I think your attorneys will probably be open to that. Um, so the simple answer is I think that you not only can you, uh, but in most instances you should. I think it's a, it is a good use of your time. Well, that's awesome, David. Thanks so much. It seems like there's a lot of options out there for what we can do to file um, our own claims, um, which is great. Um, so I guess my next question for you would be, uh, what is the court's view on those who are loading up on debt in a short period of time and then they file bankruptcy? Will these new debts be discharged? For example, debts that are less than six months old. So uh, the bankruptcy code uh, has um, specifically uh, listed uh, certain thresholds for loading up on debt, uh, and and specifically credit card debt, uh, you know, if if it's um, you know five hundred dollars or more in luxury goods within ninety days on a credit card, seven hundred and fifty dollars or more in cash advances um, within seventy days, those are going to be uh, presumed to be non-dischargeable. Now, remember, you know, here's one of those landmines. Just because it's presumed to be non-dischargeable. Uh, doesn't mean um, that you um, just suddenly get the money back. You know, you get a check from the court. That's not how it works. What that means is that now you can file a motion. Um, you know, you can file. Uh, you know, a motion and ask the court to determine it uh, not to be dischargeable. Now, if you do that, understand that the debtor can respond and say, "Well, no way. In a second, it's not what you think. They're not really luxury goods. That wasn't a." Uh, that wasn't airline tickets and luxury hotel and all these five star meals uh, for me to go to Vegas uh, just just to play around, you know, maybe a you know a boys weekend or things like that. No, instead, you know, I went to a, a wedding of a family member. I went to a funeral. Uh, this was a business trip that I had to do, and they weren't really luxury expenses. They they were required uh, expenses. Um, now, otherwise, remember, I like to I like to use generalized kind of just, um, you know, rules that help us keep an eye on what our rights are. Because one of the big things that institutions often uh, forget is they think somebody else is going to ride into the rescue and suddenly give them their money back. Uh, when in fact, we have to be active advocates 
for our own recoveries. And, um, you know, so one of those rules that I throw out is this. Anytime you have a real good idea that the debtor lacked the intent to pay you back at the time they got the money, be it advance, a loan, or whatever, um, that the court, if you're able to prove that, is not going to view that favorably. The issue is how, how, of course, you prove that. So if you can show um, that they had already contacted the bankruptcy attorney or they had already stopped their payroll, they had already uh, you know, had other indicia that they were no longer going to actively uh, and positively participate with the institution, then that may be, uh, you know, that may be enough uh, to show that the person lacked the intent to repay. You know, one of my favorite questions to try to ask at a 341 hearing uh, in a case where I would have those concerns is to ask, when was the first time uh, that you seriously considered bankruptcy? And oftentimes they're going to say, well, gee, well, it comes, I don't really know. Oh, okay, that's fine. I get it. Well, when did you call your bankruptcy attorney first? Now, some people will object immediately. The, the, the attorney for the debtor will say, wait, they, that's attorney-client privilege. And I'll try to argue, well, wait a second. I'm not asking what you said. I just want to know when you had an idea about it. Because if you thought about a bankruptcy attorney and then took the money out from my institution, then I should, you know, I, I should not have to, you know, bear that loss. Um, and I've had mixed results with that, but you get the idea. Many times you may be able to look in their own uh, transactions if it's if it's with your institution and determine whether or not the person took out money uh, to pay the bankruptcy attorney. So there are more. There's more than one way to kind of get that get that idea. Awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, great. Thanks, David. So I guess our, I'll move on to our, our last question I guess I have for you today, which is how do you handle a case where a debtor overdraws their checking or savings account and then files bankruptcy? Well, um, so... Is that, is that something that could be considered fraud maybe? Well, uh, you know, potentially. So, so here's my hesitation. My hesitation is... Uh, as we all know, uh, the fact that our institution allows somebody to overdraw their account. Now, remember, we may call the product various things. We may call it overdraft privilege. We may call it uh, courtesy pay. We may call it whatever. But, uh, you know, many institutions allow uh, their depositors to overdraw that account and then they charge them a fee. Right. So they set up, uh, you know, an amount. They say, OK, we'll let you draw it up. You know, if, if you meet these three conditions, you have this type of an account. You have this much coming in every month and you haven't, uh, you, you know, you haven't caused us, you know, a loss or anything. So we'll let you draw your account up to five hundred dollars negative. So we allow them to do that. And then they file bankruptcy. Well, first of all, any debt that they had prior to bankruptcy is going to be included in bankruptcy. You know, now we look at it and say, OK, well. Did they have a history of doing this? Uh, is this something that was relatively regular? Did they always overdraw their account uh, by, you know, three to $500 every month? In which case, all right, this is just, you know, you've kind of been on this ride and, and that's what had happened. Um, or was it something where maybe uh, this was a more clear case of fraud, which is, well, wait a second, now they deposited third-party checks or maybe even checks of theirs from another account, and those checks were returned. 
and if you can show that they knew at the time of that deposit um, that the check was in fact um, you know not uh, not good that there were no funds to back up that check well now 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 that is a much stronger case uh, for potential fraud the final thing too is you look at the timing right so you know, even if somebody had a history of doing some kind of overdrafts or, or bringing their account into the negative, now you can ask the question. You can say, well, wait a second. You know, you knew you didn't have this amount of money in the account and you knew you were going to file bankruptcy, you know, in the future. So, you know, in the very near future. So why did you allow your account to go negative? Uh, but now we get back to that balance. Now you're going to have to answer the question of, well, the reason I did that is because, I, you know, I had no idea I was doing it. I just go and use my debit card. You know, I just go and conduct my transactions and the money's there. So I'm assuming everything's okay. You know, I don't really pay that much attention to it. When, when my payroll comes in next month, the first $500 is, is, is taken out in order to cover this. I don't look at that. You know, I just, I just do my transactions. So you have to look at the facts behind the negative, um, you know, whatever that negative balance is and then determine, uh, whether or not you feel that there is a basis uh, for uh, objecting to the discharge. Now, I will tell you that for many of my clients, I mean, if it's five hundred dollars, um, you know, they're probably not going to want to take a whole lot of actions based on that, uh, simply because it's just the cost-benefit ratio of hiring an attorney to file a motion to object to that dischargeability is probably not uh, worth it in that case. Always, always good to look, but at the end of the day, let's remember: the lower the amount, it's probably going to be. Um, probably going to be something that's not worth uh, pursuing. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Okay, cool. Thank you, David. Um, Absolutely my pleasure. Yeah. So before we move on, I just wanted to ask um, one last thing of you. I wondered if you could kind of give us a rundown of Reed and Jolly and kind of tell us what you guys do and what you have to offer. Well, absolutely. So um, uh, Bruce Jolly and I uh, have been working with um, financial institutions, um, specifically credit unions, uh, for years. And we offer a full range of uh, advising, uh, counseling services uh, to credit unions nationwide on regulatory compliance, uh, corporate governance, um, contractual negotiations, uh, security, uh, as well as um, uh, training on any number of laws, rules, and regulations. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, David. I appreciate a little bit of a rundown of what you guys do. I, I know it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot more than what you made it seem in your little spiel there. But that's awesome <laughs> so much, David. Um, so thank you. I don't have any more questions for you. So thanks for, for joining us today, David. For all our listeners out there, please be sure to check out the full webinar, Navigating the Coming Wave of Bankruptcy, Five Things You Need to Know Now on our website. Um, David Reed did a fantastic presentation for us and you guys should definitely check it out. So again, David, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to record with us and I look forward to presenting with you next time. Very good. Thank you so much, Rachel. Everybody have a great day and God bless you. Thanks, David. 
Excellent. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, David. Uh, we love having David read on for our webinars and our podcasts. He is always great. For all of you out there, just a few housekeeping items. You can get access to this webinar, Navigating the Coming Wave of Bankruptcy, Five Things You Need to Know. It's available as a recorded webinar right now. The link is in the podcast notes. As always, you can find us on social media or you can find us on the website at financialedinc.com. We've got a whole list of webinars that will help you out as we go further into 2021. As always, I want to thank our association partners. I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you, Rachel and David. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks.